Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have become real to us so that we can draw more power out of the scriptures. I'm your host, Kerry Mielstein, and this is a short cast on Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37 is a really crucial chapter just in in terms of Ezekiel's meaning in general, and especially for us as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But I think we often take these verses out of context and we, we do things with them that are good and useful, but not as good and useful as if we understood them more fully in their original context and what their primary interpretation is. We typically run with the secondary interpretations, and sometimes that can make us look silly and give us uh, less ability to connect with other Christians and Jews. Um, and it robs us of the opportunity to get the full meaning out of these chapters. So I want to spend just a few minutes on these cha- or on this chapter and these two images that are in this chapter. It's a really important chapter. So to, to make sense of it, of course, we have to look at the context. If we're going to understand the beginning of chapter 37, we have to look at the end of chapter 36, which is also a crucial chapter in Ezekiel. This is where we start to get God talking about establishing a new covenant with Israel. So if we were to look at, say, starting in verse 25, then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall become clean. And so it's after verse 24, I should say, which is for I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. And then he's going to sprinkle water on them and make them clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you an heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. So you can see, oh, and, and verse 28, and ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and ye shall be my people and I will be your God. And then he goes on to say all sorts of other things. It's all about gathering them back to him and making them a kind of people that want to love and keep his covenant and he will keep the covenant with them. Uh, we end with verse 37 and 38, well, 36. Then the heathen that are left round about you shall know that I, the Lord, build the ruined places and plant that that was desolate. I, w- I the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. So it's this idea that uh, you didn't keep the covenant, so the covenant itself and the all the blessings promised from whether that be the land or you as a people, have become desolate, but I can build it again. When you keep the covenant, I can make all of this happen again and make, make the blessings of the covenant happen again. Thus saith the Lord your God, um, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. I will increase them with men like a flock. So I'm going to multiply you when you come after me and inquire of me again and want to keep the covenant again. I'll give you this, this increased uh, prosperity and posterity. As the holy flock, as the flock of Jerusalem in her solemn feast, so shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of men, and they shall know that I am the Lord. All right, so that's how it ends. And there's just not a, a really a pause as we get to chapter 37. The topic is the gathering of Israel, the renewal of the covenant. So we get chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in, uh, uh, sorry, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, Lord God, thou knowest. So basically God asked him a question. He says, uh, I don't know, but you know, why, why don't you tell me? And, uh, 
And instead, God says, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to give you the ability to tell me. So he said to me, prophesy upon these bones and say to them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will bring upon up flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and ye shall live and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So notice that's exactly how chapter 36 ended and they shall know that I am the Lord. So there's part of your tie in your textual tie in that he's still addressing the same topic. Uh, that when they become a, a renewed house of Israel with a renewed covenant, they know he's the Lord. And so that's part of the time that we know what he's talking about here, that he's talking about the renewal of the house of Israel. But he's going to make it even more clear. The nice thing is that we don't have to guess what these things mean. God himself will tell us. Verse 7, Ezekiel prophesied as he was commanded, and there was a noise and shaking, and the bones came together bone to bone, and uh eight uh, sinew and the flesh came upon them and skin covered them and there was but there was no breath in them verse nine then he said unto me prophesy unto the wind uh now the word for wind in hebrew is the same word for spirit uh and so the idea is tied together and i think there's an intentional play on words here prophesy unto the the wind but basically you're going to say fill them with the the their spirits the breath of life as it were Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So that's going to be all the same word um, in Hebrew. I should say uh, that the word where he says breathe into them, <clears throat> that's a different word. That's the word for breathing. But uh, all these uh, nouns uh, were in verse nine, wind uh, and wind and then uh, winds and breath. And then we get uh, in the next verse, chapter 10, breath. Those are all the same word, ruach. All right. So there's this play on words. Anyway, so I prophesied as he commanded me. That's verse 10. And the breath came into them and they lived and stood upon their feet an exceeding great army. Verse 11. Then he said unto me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. So there's your interpretation. Uh, we'll come back to this, but th it's the whole house of Israel. That's what the bones represent. And if they're coming back to life, then that's the house of Israel coming back to life. And we have this textual tie-in to ch the end of chapter 36, that that's what it's about, is giving new life as there's new life to the covenant. You get new life to Israel. Uh, and then, but look, verse 11, behold, they say our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off uh, for our parts. So the, the problem with Israel is that they've lost hope because they've broken the covenant and they're, they're not receiving covenant blessings. And what God is trying to do is say there, you, there is hope. You can keep the covenant again, and then you get the blessings. Hope is always tied up with the covenant and God's willingness to restore us to the covenant, which can happen through and because of Christ, right? Hope is always tied to that. Verse um, 12, therefore prophesy and say to them, thus saith the Lord God, behold, O my people, that's a, a covenant phrase that lets us know he's talking about his people. I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Okay, so when we hear graves, we think resurrection. We should, and I'm going to come back to that. But that's not what he's primarily talking about here. And your clue is that he says, I will bring you into the land of Israel. He's saying, I'm, I'm going to cause the covenant with Israel, Israel as a covenant people, to not be dead anymore. But we're going to bring life back to this and give you covenant blessings. 
and you shall know that I am the Lord. There's that phrase again that ties us in with the end of 36 and the middle of 37 and so on. When I've opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves and shall put my spirit in you and you shall live and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall you know that I, I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. So we usually hold this up as an example of a scripture about resurrection. And it's not really about resurrection. Resurrection's the given here. It's the example. It's kind of like when the, the Savior teaches a parable about sowing. It's not really about sowing seeds. Sowing seeds is the given. Everyone knows and understands that. He's going to use that to teach something else. Resurrection is the given here. And he uses that to teach about the resurrection of the covenant and the house of Israel and the house of Israel coming together and uh, and renewing that covenant and having the life given to them with a new heart that was discussed both by Jeremiah and in chapter 36 of Ezekiel. It's beautiful stuff. So, yes, it's about the resurrection uh, secondarily. And we should understand that it's about the resurrection, but we don't want to miss what God's emphasizing and what God's teaching here. And that is that the covenant with Israel is not dead. All right, so let's move on to the next part of the chapter, which is really about the same thing. It's not different. Verse 15, the word of the Lord came unto me, or again unto me, saying, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and ride upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel's companions. Then take another stick and ride upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. Now, let's just say right away, we typically say, okay, these are uh, about scrolls that are wrapped around sticks. On occasion, maybe they would be wrapped around sticks. Uh, really, in this day, we don't have any examples of that. I don't know if that's because the sticks didn't survive, but... Uh, I don't I'm not aware of any archaeological examples of that. I don't think they normally wrap them around sticks. I, I think um, let's just take that out of our mind. We'll come back to that. There's a valid interpretation there, but let's listen to what the verses themselves say rather than reading into it what we want them to say. Then we'll be able to read that other into it and get more power out of it. OK, so just think of a stick and he's writing Judah on one and Joseph and Ephraim on the other. Now, at this point, having studied the Old Testament so much, we understand that there's a long tension between the individuals, Judah and Joseph, and between the tribes, Judah and Ephraim, because they both play leadership roles. They've both been given leadership blessings, and uh, that tension is strong enough that it tore the kingdom apart. So we only had for three generations a united monarchy or kingdom in Israel. And then Judah and the tribe of Judah went one way and the tribe of Ephraim went another way and they took tribes with them, right? Uh, they And they've been divided ever since, since the days of Solomon, they've been divided. So that's the background that we need to understand. Okay, so he says, for Judah and for the children of Israel's companions and another stick and ride upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim and for all the house of Israel, his companions and join them one to another into one stick and they shall become one in thine hand. And when the children of thy people shall speak unto thee saying, wilt thou not show us what thou meanest by these saying to them, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I will take the stick. And, and I think Ezekiel probably literally did this. We'll, we'll, we can look, um, I'll do another little short cast where we look at symbolic action in Ezekiel, but he has Ezekiel do all sorts of things that are actions that are symbolic. And so I would suspect he actually literally did this. And then he told him what God wanted him to tell him. But anyway, 
uh, saying to them, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel as fellows, and will put them, put them with him, even with the stick of Judah and make them one stick and they shall be one in mine hand. And the sticks whereon thou writest shall be in thine hands before their eyes. And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, so this is that gathering again, whether they be gone, and will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. This is about gathering and restoration of covenant. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all, and they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Neither shall they defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned and will cleanse them. So shall they be my people and I will be their God. Covenant language at its strongest. And David, my servant, shall be king over them and they all shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I've given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they and their children, their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be prince over them. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. And it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. So this is one of the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant that they can have the, the temple and God experience God's presence in the temple. My tabernacle also shall be with them, yea, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel, when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. Now, we're, if you've listened to my earlier podcast on um, the temple theme throughout Jeremiah, you'll recognize that the next chapters are about Gog and Mago coming and trying to destroy this united group, and then the temple is rebuilt. Uh, so this feeds into that narrative, but it's also a narrative in and of itself. This prophecy is about the gathering of Israel. The gathering of all of Israel, not just Jews or Judahites, but all of Israel and the reunion of all of Israel. Now, I don't know exactly how this all happens. I know that there's there's literal physical gatherings in the old world and the new world. I know that there's renewal of covenants in both groups. Uh, I know that sooner or later for the gathering to fully happen, everyone has to accept Christ and make covenants that, through true priesthood covenants and so on. But in some ways, this is already happening, and in some ways, there's more of this to happen where Joseph and Judah or all – that's really saying all of Israel. All of Israel is gathered to God along with everyone who is willing to be part of Israel. That's what this is about. That's the primary. God himself gives us the primary interpretation of this. It's about the gathering of Israel. Now, the wonderful thing is that our valid secondary interpretation, which is that you have writings – from Joseph, we call it the Book of Mormon, and writings from Judah, we call it the Bible, that those writings will come together and be used together. That's actually the tool that accomplishes the primary interpretation. So the Book of Mormon working with the Bible is what that's the primary tool of the gathering that will eventually bring all of Israel to God in covenant. And so that secondary interpretation is wonderful and valid, and we should know about it and use it, but we can use it best if we understand what God says this is, because our Christian and Jewish friends know what God says this means. We shouldn't ignore what God says it means. Uh, we'll be more convincing when we have that application in there, but when we can show how they work together that Israel will be gathered, and the tool is the Bible and the Book of Mormon working together. Now we're really cooking when we understand those things. And I hope that's helpful for you and that, that it helps us become more uh, 
I guess, enthused about what President Nelson says we should be enthused about. Remember, the first thing he did as a prophet was to talk to the youth and tell them that the gathering of Israel was the most important thing on the earth today, and that if they were involved with it, they would be involved in doing the most important thing, and there is nothing more important they could do. And he told them, anytime you help anyone on either side of the bell make and keep covenants, you're helping to gather Israel. And I hope we can get all of that and be enthused the way President Nelson is asking us to and see how Ezekiel and, and President Nelson are teaching us the same thing. It is exciting stuff, and I hope you feel it, and I testify of that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.